to the Seven Innings Podcast. Another fabulous week of softball is in the rearview mirror, and through that front windshield, we see some more great stuff. We will uh, rewind to opening weekend of the SEC, and we'll also fast-forward to opening weekend for the Pac-12. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of the legends of the sport. Mike Candrea and Carol Hutchins are going back and forth as the winningest coaches of all time. Conference play getting underway, so we're going to preview who we think the champs might be at the end of the year, and we're excited about three new segments. We're going to play a little Pepper. We're also going to play some chin music for you, and we are taking three swings at three big topics. You can get your lineup card on social media. I'm Beth Mowens, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Jen Schroeder, Jenny Dalton-Hill from the Dudgeon this week in Lexington, Kentucky, and also J-Mac and Buzz are with us as well. We're going to start out our, our lineup card with our weekend review. Um, and, and of course, what's on everybody's minds, guys, is the coronavirus and how it's starting to affect um, uh, everyday life in the United States and certainly on college campuses and with college athletics. Um, and obviously a very serious situation, Michelle, where we're starting to see now um, schools close their doors and go totally online for classes, and the, the impact, uh, I, I fear, will eventually reach the playing fields and whether or not we'll have student-athletes out there and whether or not we'll have fans in the stands to watch them. Yeah, it's absolutely something, uh, BMO, that has to be taken seriously. People need to really work on hygiene, washing your hands uh, over and over and over, and just being aware of your surroundings and understanding that um, – it is very serious, but we have the ability, uh, you know, with the great health system to get through this. But I think being aware is going to be super important. Yeah, absolutely. It's just crazy to think that something this big that's affecting the entire world is also just affecting our little sport of softball and might get in the way of uh, a lot of our favorite seasons ever. I'm not going to say speak for you, Beth, that it's your favorite season ever because you cover a lot of sports, but it's all of our favorite time of the year. And yeah. we just want these games to continue. Yeah, and, and I know um, that the NCAA obviously is already in discussions uh, about what they're going to do with the men's and women's basketball tournaments, uh, which are coming up here, of course, all through March Madness. So something to keep an eye on and, and how the schools and how the governing bodies and even how state governments now are, are getting involved as, as well as the national uh, government. Hopefully all will go well um, and, um, um, you know, we can return to our everyday lives as sports fans. But, uh, you know, our thoughts out to all everybody affected by that. Uh, we, we did have another terrific um, weekend in, in college softball. So I'll, I'll start with you, uh, uh, Jenny. What, what did you see out there? And and then we'll uh, we'll have uh, Jen and everybody else chime in, too. Perfect. This weekend, I was on campus at Missouri with that Ole Miss-Missouri matchup. It was a big weekend for Mizzou over Ole Miss. Their first ever SEC series win in an opening weekend since they joined the SEC conference. Um, the big takeaway for me in this one is Kayla Kessinger. Her year off has really fueled a fire in her and that team. Remember, they are not eligible for postseason, so watching them play, I'm excited to see how they finish out the SEC regular season because they say that that's their goal, trying to win an SEC regular season championship, knowing that they have no postseason to play for. Yeah, and for me, Jenny, I think more so than specific teams or series because a lot of teams – 
swept this weekend. It's that February was so crazy. We had everybody beating everybody. And all of a sudden it feels like it's starting to settle in where there's not many jumps throughout the top 25. The top five pretty much stayed the same. And it feels like we're starting to really get a handle on who could potentially be at the World Series or in Super Regionals come late May. And I just feel like the sport is starting to settle in. Yeah, that's a great point, Jen. And just to um, even expand that topic even more, I was focusing a lot on the top five teams. And to me, I felt like they really flexed their strength this weekend. Um, I was taking a look at those five, top five teams, UCLA, uh, LSU, Arizona, Texas, and Washington, and uh, combined 23 games. They only gave up 19 runs. So the pitching and the defense were really stepping up. And I felt like those teams really dominated and solidified themselves as top five teams. Well, and it comes down to the circle for me. You're starting to see everybody settle in. Hitters have stayed pretty consistent throughout the beginning of the year, but it's the pitching in the circle that has really started to settle in and they've gotten their feet underneath them. Well, and I thought one of the things that was interesting in our series, Amanda, when uh, we were watching the Auburn-Florida game and calling it on Sunday was, you know, everyone was thinking about, oh, they lost Barnhill, they lost Lorenz, how are they going to recover? These freshmen come in and are outstanding. Riley Trilichak was out amazing in the circle for a freshman. But how about Julia Cottrell behind the plate? So they had a freshman battery. And I was texting back and back, back and forth with her father, Jeff Cottrell, who's the assistant coach at, uh, excuse me, at Oklahoma State. And I I was teasing him because Julia hit a ball, a changeup, almost off her back leg. She looked like Francesca <laughs> Nea. And I was like, are you, is that how you're teaching your daughter to hit? And do you, are you teaching Oklahoma State to hit that? And he was like, we are not teaching Oklahoma State to hit like that. Anyway, it was a lot of banner. It was a lot of fun back and forth with him. But holy cow, impressed with Florida and, and the week that they've had actually the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and uh, the the polls uh, kind of bear out what we were talking about, guys. The top eight stay in the top eight uh, this week. So it, it, after all the upsets in February, uh, the, uh, the big dogs started to flex a little bit. We also, uh, wanted to note it was our first weekend, um, without Diane Ninemeyer, who, um, decided that she had to step down, uh, at Cal due to some health concerns. 32 years in the dugout at Cal, including the 2002 national championship. Uh, our best wishes to coach Ninemeyer. Um, as she moves forward with the rest of her life and uh, just uh, was always a pleasure to have around the softball diamond. Uh, you guys touched on what was happening in some of the SEC series. So let's move on to number two on our lineup card opening weekend last weekend. Florida three zip over Auburn, Missouri three zip over Ole Miss. Uh, Mississippi State uh, was not in on the fun, uh, but they will this coming week. They ride a 13-game win streak um, into uh, their series with Kentucky this weekend. And Alabama, after getting shut out by Arkansas in the opener, scored 19 runs in the last two games to take the series. Smitty, you had a first-hand look. What did you see? Well, again, I think going back to um, Florida, they look very good. Auburn actually had a chance to win game two of that series and they let it slip away from them. And, you know, just a, a little bit of uh, going back and revisiting how important every single pitch is. They had an opportunity to score on a pass ball at, from third and they did not. There was a runner on second who would have advanced to third. The next girl gets a base hit. They just scored two runs. Instead, they only scored one run. The game then goes extras. They lose to Florida. So every single pitch counts at this level. And that was my big takeaway from the Florida Auburn series this weekend. 
So we were on the call uh, together, Michelle and Gainesville, but and Kayla is not on the podcast this week. So I'll talk about the Kentucky A&M series and talk about my Aggies and just how awesome that series was. Uh, and went to the rubber match. I know, I knew. <laughs> I knew <laughs> I have, my Aggies. I have withstained talking about them in Jen's word for, you know, several weeks now. But to me, truly and honestly, uh, I was impressed by their offense combined between Kentucky and A&M in that series. There were 56 runs scored, 12 home runs hit, four grand slams on the weekend. So I think that we expected that out of Kentucky as they were at the tops of the SEC and batting average, slugging percentage, and several other categories. But I don't know if we expected that out of A&M. And I thought that they really fought that weekend. I'm looking forward to watching them play moving on. Amanda, I was very impressed with A&M. Another team that I was incredibly impressed with in their first game in Tuscaloosa was Arkansas. And I got to give them a little love. My baby sister played there, so it's a little bit of a homer in a way. But Autumn Storms, guys, the way that she threw on Friday night was incredible. Not only is she for sure on the all-name list, I think all-time with with Autumn Storms as her name, but what she did was consecutively hit spots. She wasn't over-dominant with multiple locations. She relied on her drop ball, and she was able to hit spots pinpoint spot, strategically use her changeup. And to me, she just dominated a very tough Alabama lineup. And I was incredibly impressed by her. And although Arkansas did drop the series, I just want to tip my cap to her because what she did was impressive on Friday night. Are, are we concerned guys at all about Montana Fouts at Alabama three and three? Um, uh, obviously critical to their success at the end of last season, or is this something JDH that we think she's just got to work her way back into form after taking some time off after an incredibly busy summer? Well, we know she didn't pick up a ball until December 17th after that run in the summertime with the junior national team. So she may have been a little slow going into the regular season starting in February, but then she catches an illness and has to sit out again. So right now, Montana Fouts may not be in full form. I was grateful to be able to coach her in travel ball heading into her collegiate years. And I tell you what, if there is a competitor out there, it is Montana Fouts. And I know that there is nothing that's going to hold her back while she may still be coming back into true form. While we talk about this being a marathon and not a sprint, she's looking to finish strong. And I I never count her out, even though her record right now may not be where she wants it to be. Yeah, JDH, totally agree with that. And Shro in the know, right? As a catcher, you you know it's all about location, location, location. I mean, that's the biggest part of pitching. And really, when you come back to hitting spots, changing speeds, those to me are the two most important aspects of being a successful pitcher. And we've seen that a little bit with Montana. Last year, she did not give up her first walk until her... 37th inning thrown. This year has been a completely different story. She struggled with her uh, control, with her locations, uh, and it's it's played a big issue. And so I think the one thing that really is the takeaway, and Amanda, you, we saw it in the A&M Kentucky series, when ball a ball is put over the middle of the plate, it leaves the yard. And, and so really the story for pitchers is being able to throw the ball on the corners in the river. Well, and I think that you saw the freshman of Lexi Kilfoyle do that for Alabama. Even though Alabama lost that first game, Lexi Kilfoyle came in and threw two complete game wins in Tuscaloosa to be able to win that series. So an impressive performance by her to be able to step up when her team needed her the most. All right, good uh, good start to the weekend for the SEC. We'll be previewing the Pac-12's opening weekend coming up. But, but first, let's move on to number three in our lineup card. Some like rap. 
Some like reggae, some like rock, perhaps a little rhythm and blues. But for Amanda Scarborough, it's all about the chin music, baby. Oh, do you hear it? Do you hear it, Amanda? Can you sit, can you hum a few bars for us and play us a little, a little chin music? There were five perfect games last week. That, I mean, sing you paint it, the picture for me so well, baby. You just paint the picture for me so well with your words. Um, and what's funny is you're talking about chin music for me this week and last week, and I was spreading the love. So I don't know if people want to say that I'm like the mean guy or the nice guy. So uh, I guess I'm a little bit of both. But for a little bit of chin music, um, five com- uh, perfect games that were thrown on the weekend, one of which was by Texas's pitcher Miranda Ellish. That was the only one, to my knowledge, that was a seven-inning perfect game. Uh, there was also one by Texas Tech's junior Aaron Edmondson, UCLA freshman Alexi Sosa, and then Utah Valley's Brooke Carter, who, by the way, in Division One history for Utah Valley's program, that was the first one for their program. Ooh, nice. And then finally, nice. Liberty junior Megan Johnson pitched one as well. And might I add, being the Texas with the chi- being from Texas with the chin music here, three of those perfect games were thrown in the state of Texas. Two of them were at Texas's field in Austin. So, is there something? In the water in Texas or what, you guys? Let's go. <laughs> you are such a homer today, Amanda, but I'm going to follow up. I'm going to follow up with a little UCLA stat. Uh, Lexi Sosa obviously has struggled throughout the year and then all of a sudden comes out, wins two ball games. But what I thought was really cool about her perfect game, the last perfect game that had been thrown at UCLA was by Donna Kerr. That 2010 national championship team actually was celebrating their reunion and Donna Kerr threw out the first pitch before <laughs> wow. that game. And then Lexi Sosa awesome. follows up with a perfect game. I thought that was so incredible. It gave me goosebumps. Well, and more than that, Jen, not only did she throw the perfect ba- game, but she went two for three in that matchup and with a home run and four RBI. So she was in able her, to go on that was both first, sides. That was her first start in, like at, in the box. She oh hadn't my. hit it all, all years. Great. Oh, great I love that. Her. Well, and going back to that Liberty perfect game that you brought up, Amanda, Megan Johnson, it was a 13 and 0 victory over Texas Southern, but Michelle, Amanda, you guys have a lot more experience in the circle. She only threw 39 pitches in that perfect game. So 15 batters, 39 pitches. I'm guessing that's pretty good. Uh, Yeah, that's outstanding. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Perfect games in general typically have a really low pitch count. I think um, I threw a pitch, uh, a perfect game back um, in China at one point, and it was literally I threw like 70 pitches. Normally, I would throw 70 pitches in the fifth inning. So it is weird. A lot of ground balls, a lot of pop-ups, but uh, 39, I've never had a pitch count of 39 on a perfect game. That's that's impressive. That's because you're always wasting a couple pitches playing a little chin music when somebody tries to run the river on you, Smitty. That's right. That's right. Oh, Oh, wow. That is Grammy award-winning stuff right there. A little chin music with Amanda Scarborough. Time now to move on to number four in our batting order, and who better than um, uh, the uh, career RBI leader to drive some runs in. But we're going to play a little pepper right now, even though usually behind home plate it says no pepper playing. Um, We're going to go back and forth right now with a little uh, little something for the coaches out there. Right, Jenny Dalton-Hill? You bet. We recognize that a lot of our listeners don't just love the collegiate game, but they coach it as well. So we'd like to throw out some tips for those who maybe impact that next generation of athletes. Um, so this week, as you coach, my challenge to each of you is to listen to the way you ask your players to make changes. Uh, um, are you stating what you don't want them to do or are you phrasing what you want them to accomplish? 
So for example, don't drop your hands as compared to take your knob to the ball. We've seen how the last thing you think about affects the outcome of what you're going to do. So adjust your phrasing this week when you talk to your athletes and then hold your athletes accountable too to speak the same way when analyzing their own mechanics or their own performance. We play a game of failure. So let's work on focusing on the fix rather than on the problem. Anybody else? Yeah, just to tie into that, and uh, this comes from our our broadcasting background, but um, it's critical to do a self-scout. So whether it's your practice or whether it's in-game, to put a camera in your own dugout because body language is so important from your coaching staff, but also from your players. Can't tell you how many times, right, that we're calling a game and you see a student athlete with unbelievable body language or really bad body language and not really understanding that everyone else on your team and your coaching staff are all watching you. And and so much of what you say is not what comes out, out of your mouth, but how you carry yourself and conduct yourself, both as student athletes and as coaches. So I would encourage you to do a self-scout and turn the cameras on yourself from time to time. Amanda? Yeah, that's one of the actually actually the biggest pieces of advice is that I give to pitchers and to pitchers' parents who uh, maybe these parents and the coaches are struggling with their pitchers' body language and they get down on themselves whenever a lot of runners on or, are on and they give up a lot of runs is to video them, show it because sometimes you're not aware of the energy that you're giving out or a face that you're making. So to be able to video it and show the athlete, then they're able to adjust from it. But um, I, I think that's that's huge, Beth, and I know that probably Michelle feels the same. Or Jen, you feel the same way. Well, I just want to flip it. Obviously, you and Michelle as pitchers, right? You're facing the batter. But I'm going to turn the camera around to the catcher where all eight other positions are staring at them on the field. So along with good instruction and great body language, it's also being comfortable being a vocal leader. And I get asked all the time, how can my catcher or how can my daughter become a better vocal leader? And I think you need to practice it. You need to practice calling out plays. Hey, there's a runner at one. We're going to go two here and practice communication just as you would ground balls or hitting off the tee. JDH, what do you got? Very much so. I love how you guys have taken this and moved it into body language. I would also echo that in a batter stance as well. There's so many times when I'm calling a game that I will watch a batter be upset about the call that's made that they don't swing at. As a pitcher, I would go right back to that spot because they've now told me that they don't believe that's a strike. And so the way that you impact the game is all through how you react to the situations that you're thrown in. Yeah, I agree with that, JDH. And I think one of the most important lessons that I learned on the field was when things go well, it's really easy to praise people. It's the same thing when things don't go well behind you. If there's an error, just to continue to give love to your middles, to your outfielders, to, to whoever it is, because they feel bad enough already. And you look, if you look at them as a pitcher and you say, you got the next one, I know you do. And you give them that confidence and you give them that belief that you believe in them still, then I think it just raises the whole level of the team. So I, I absolutely agree with all of that. Your body language, the way you talk to yourself, the way you talk to your, your teammates, super important. Good game of pepper, ladies. Outstanding stuff. We're going to, we're going to bring some coaching tips and, and some things uh, that are on the minds of head coaches and assistant coaches out there as well throughout uh, the weekend. 
this is the seven innings podcast. Follow us on your, uh, your Twitter and your gram at seven innings podcast. Beth Mowens, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Jen Schroeder, Jenny Dalton Hill, J Mac and Buzz in the production studio. Number five on your lineup card, which you can get on your, your Twitter and your gram. Time now to take three swings at three big topics as we start to steer the conversation into what's coming up this weekend, Jen Schroeder. All right, you guys ready for this? Three swings. We are going to preview the best matchup of the weekend, the best team going into the weekend, and then the team that needs to win. And this may change throughout the year. Maybe a team that needs a win in a conference win, maybe for RPI, maybe for something. Best matchup to me this weekend undoubtedly is going to be Alabama versus Texas at the Roadhouse. Alabama's 14 and 8. Texas is the number two team in the country at 24 and 3. Both have big wins over Washington. To me, softball is going to say Texas should take this series. However, if we go back to the 2019 Super Regional, when the eight team met the nine team, when the team that won the series went to the World Series, there was a lot of drama. Miranda Elish getting hit by a bad throw by Mary Iacopo, her catcher. There is going to be a lot of emotion, and I'm sorry, but anytime you play at the Rhodes House, I feel like you're already losing two to zero because of the energy at that stadium. Well, I think that you hit the nail on the head with everything that you just said, and I even saw you pull your Twitter audience, and that was by far the number one matchup that everybody had replied to that they were looking <laughs> forward to this weekend. So it was like a no-brainer. Like if Jen doesn't pick Texas versus Alabama, like I'm going to be really mad at her because the people are telling her what to do and what to talk about. <laughs> so true. It was an overwhelming excitement level for this game. All right, we're going to move on to the best team. Best team to me right now, everyone thinks I'm going to say UCLA. Absolutely not. I'm going to go with the Florida Gators oh. this weekend. I know, really quick, I'm going to kick it to you, Michelle, but I'm going to give you some stats to lead you into this. This past weekend, they had two complete game shutouts. They pulled out an extra inning win that you talked about against Auburn. They swept Auburn in their first weekend of conference. They only gave up one run. As a team, they hit 386 as opposed to Auburn only hitting 170 against them. But all year long on this podcast, we've talked about them being different without Lorenz, without Barnhill. Well, last year, they dropped their first three SEC series. So... Are they better? Are they better without those two, Michelle? (laughs) (laughs) I think they are by far a better team this year. Last year, they had two hitters that hit over 300, 300, Lindemann (laughs) and Lorenz. This year, they have, sorry, that was, I don't know how that word got together, but it did. Um, Was that that Linderenz? What was that? I love it. Yeah, it was good. Um, I don't think I could do that again if I tried. So, um, uh, but the, this year they have six. They have six hitters hitting over 300. Um, Cheyenne Lindsay is on fire. She can run like the wind. She's a ton of fun to watch. This is a complete Florida t- team. And I love the fact that coach Tim Walton went back and reassessed things. He said, you know, we didn't hit that well last year. We're going to hit better this year. You know why? We're going to do doubles. They're hitting twice a day. They've got a very full pitching staff, five different pitchers and arms they can rely on. And he always has one of the best defenses in the country. I love this Florida team. 
Big week coming up for them as well because they are uh, out of conference against Florida State midweek, and then they've got games against Baylor coming Mm -hmm. up over the weekend. And, of course, when we get to the end of the season, those become so important for the uh, NCAA selection committee uh, as well as bragging rights uh, in the state of Florida. And and we'll find out, um, you know, just how good this Baylor side is and and how deep the Big 12 is, I think, uh, we'll be able to read some of the tarot cards from that matchup, Shro. Yeah, no, Beth, that leads me right into need to win this weekend. I, I had a couple here. I, I definitely threw in Baylor against Florida because, just like you said, the RPI, how that's going to play in postseason. I even thought about Georgia-Arkansas, which I think is going to be a great season, a great series this weekend. But to me... Two teams that absolutely need to win, not even one, is going to be Tennessee and A&M, and they're playing one another. A&M obviously just dropped the series to Kentucky, but they could have won. They they could have swept three games easily. They were down 9-1 to one Monday night, battled back to only lose 9-8. They're only 1-2 in conference, 16-9 and nine over the year. But Tennessee is a team that honestly I'm confused about. They've won five of their last six games. They didn't start SEC. This is going to be their opening weekend. Both these teams are unranked, but they're both receiving votes. And to me, at this point in the season, this is a must-win series for both of these teams, not only for the rankings, but to find out who they are as a team. JDH, what do you think? Well, I think the biggest impact on A&M right now, I won't make Amanda talk about it, is Craig Snyder. Craig Snyder has come in, has elevated the batting average for Texas A&M. They've got 141 runs on the year with 26 home runs. Recognizing last year, they only had 32 home runs. So right now they're starting at, or at the very beginning of SEC play already pretty close to the number of home runs that they had in an entire year. And they're just a hundred runs away from their last year mark. So I see Craig Snyder being a big difference maker for Texas A&M. Craig, by the way, the pickup from uh, Florida State, the former assistant coach there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be watching Mississippi State. Uh, they, they haven't played a very tough schedule yet. They jump in against Kentucky this weekend. And I'm also going to be keeping my eye on Minnesota. They already have nine losses on the season. And Minnesota and Michigan right now are, are the Big Ten representatives in the top 25, but they're at 17 and 19. So I'm looking for Minnesota and, and really the rest of the Big Ten um, to, to start to pick it up a little bit. Yeah, and Beth, uh, Mississippi State's on a 13-game win streak right yes. now. They, they only have one win against a ranked team, but a 13-game win streak. I mean, you know, when you're when you're feeling good, you're feeling good. So I'm interested to see how they'll how they'll be in SEC play. All right, we're moving on to number six. Uh, time now to preview the Pac-12. Uh, they're they're going to jump into conference play this weekend. Oregon at Cal, uh, Oregon State at Arizona. Utah at Washington, and then the marquee matchup on paper would be um, Arizona State and the Hackbarths against UCLA, Faremo, and company. Uh, who wants to take a deep dive into the uh, opening Pac-12 weekend, Amanda? Yeah, a couple of series that stick out to me is going to be the Arizona State at UCLA and then Utah at Washington 
I think in order for Arizona State to go in and make some noise at UCLA, they're going to have to score a lot of runs. UCLA's offense is tough, but Arizona State, who leads the country in home runs with 48 on the year, they have the potential to put up a lot of runs fast. So when they get runners on, if there's a pitch over the middle of the plate, a mistake, and they can square it up and score runs fast, I think they have a chance to win maybe maybe one game there. I think that Arizona State would feel good about that. If they win the series, I mean, even better for them. Um, and I'm very interested, Jen, to see Utah play a team that has been in and out of the top 25 solid offense with a 310 batting average and they rely on Sidney Sandez in the circle who has 11 wins but I, I just can't quite figure them out so I'm interested to see how they compete against Washington yeah I actually I want to talk about both those series Amanda I, although everyone assumes UCLA is going to go in there and maybe sweep I actually think ASU is going to come out with a win uh Cool little early shag instead. I'm doing this two weeks in a row, but the last seven teams to lose at Easton Stadium were all via shutout. And this is a normal hitters ballpark. And all of a sudden you're seeing UCLA have a staff. I think ASU is going to go in there and swing big. And I think they will put up a lot of runs. As far as Utah, I got to see them early in the year at the Kajikawa Classic. They impressed me tremendously in the beginning of the year. I know they can win. I know that they're talented. I know they're good. But as of late, they haven't been showing it, and they've dropped out of the rankings. To me, that UW-Utah matchup is going to be one of the best in the pack this weekend, and I'm excited for it. What about you, Jenny? It's exciting to see what Arizona can do. They have had a little bit of a hiccup lately, a tough game against Boise State. And so for me, I want to see how they respond to that 2-1 victory. It was a walk-off home run by um, Alyssa, Alyssa Palomino Cordoza. And for me, why, that's a mouthful. I thought J.D. was hard. But when you, when you come into your first round of Pac-12 play, you've got to put your foot down and just put, your, put the pedal to the metal and go hard and don't look back. I'm really interested in, in seeing how Oregon is going to respond going down to Cal with Cal with Coach Nynemeyer now retiring uh, midseason. How are they going to um, react to to that? Um, but also for Oregon, I think they haven't really been tested yet. They've played Oklahoma State. They lost. Uh, they did beat Northwestern. Um, so this is an Oregon team that's highly ranked, um, but we just haven't seen them a lot. I think their test really begins now that Pac-12 play starts. I'm very interested in that. Yeah. Big, big start to the uh, Pac-12 conference, and, and that leads us into uh, number seven, which would be our conference championship prediction. So uh, let's uh, let's put it on the line right now. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the Power Five leagues and who we think might be the champs. Like, uh, I'll just run through ACC. Florida State is at Virginia Tech at the end of the season. Uh, I'm giving Florida State the nod in the ACC. Michigan has home field advantage in the Minnesota series, which starts on April 3rd. I'm going to give Michigan the edge in the Big Ten this year. Big 12, well, next weekend, Oklahoma and Texas jump right into the league. Um, I don't know if it will be decided right away. There are still a lot of questions around the future, right, of G. Juarez. She has not pitched since February 22nd, still uncertain as to when and whether or not we will see her at some point the rest of the season. I think Texas, uh, as a result of that, would get the nod, um, even though the Sooners did get Nicole Mendez back in the lineup this week. Pac-12 is going to be awesome. The top four 
square off the final weekend of the season. UCLA will be at Oregon. Arizona will be at Washington. Hard to go against the defending champs in that one. I'm going to give UCLA the edge. And then the SEC, holy cow, um, maybe as wide open as ever. I'm going to say right now, LSU gets my vote just based on that pitching staff with that strong ERA. Let's go right down the line. Smitty? Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with the Florida LSU, um, for the, for the SEC. I think one of those two teams, but I do love LSU and I'm excited to see them this weekend at South Carolina, uh, to really, you know, be there in person and, and, and see how they're thrown and see how they're hitting. Uh, you know, for the, for the Pac 12, I might would have said UW this year with, uh, Bubba Nichols and Rachel Garcia being off the, uh, the UCLA squad, but, Gabby Plain has struggled a little bit. I'm worried. So I obviously will go back to UCLA on that. I like Texas in the Big 12. I don't count out Oklahoma State. I think that they have an opportunity as Homer. well. But I know, I know, I know. Come on, bring it, bring it, bring it. But I think the advantage, though, for Texas is they play that series at home as well. So that that's also a key for them. Um, the Big Ten, boy, that's a, that'll be interesting. I, I like Michigan probably more so because Northwestern and Minnesota have struggled. And the ACC, I like Florida State. I just think that's a very balanced team. Lana Alameda always does a great job with the Seminoles. This is my idea to talk about, or I thought about this topic, and I literally have no idea for like two or three of the conferences because oh. it's just so hard. <laughs> but, um, uh, I, the, the, I agree with what you guys have been saying, so I'm not going to repeat because I think, uh, UCLA wins the pack. Um, I think that Texas will win the Big 12. Uh, I think that Michigan will win the Big 10. Uh, and I, I like Virginia Tech. That's the one that I disagree with you guys on. I really oh. like Virginia Tech over Florida State in the ACC. I remember they won, uh, the regular season last year in the ACC. I've just yeah. been super impressed with Keely Rochard, their pitcher who has taken on a huge load. She's thrown like 114 innings. And her whip, Michelle, you'll love this. Her whip thus far in 114 innings is 0.81. So I'm I'm really liking her. And then I'll pick uh, Michelle with you, LSU or Florida for the SEC. All right, guys. Again, I don't want to repeat everything you've said, so I'm just going to go with what I'm passionate about. I think Texas is for sure going to win the Big 12. I'm just going to call it. I think that they're going to upset OU. I think it's their year. Uh, in the Pac-12, I'm not going to pick UCLA outright. I think there's going to end up being a tie. There's no conference championship there. It's one of only two conferences not to have one. I just, I don't think they're going to win it outright. Uh, honestly, I don't want them to because there's a huge jinx that if you win the Pac-12 outright, you do not win the World Series. I believe this goes back to the 90s, so I don't want them to win it outright. Uh, and then the Big Ten's a toss-up to me as well as the ACC. I think it's anyone's ball game. JDH? Well, I'm going to even take you deeper into history then, Shro, because you're right. If you win the Pac-12, <laughs> you don't win the national championship. Right. But also, if you win the Judy Garmin, which was played at Fullerton in the 90s, which used to be a straight-up tournament, you don't win the World Series. What? So, <laughs> just saying. We won it one time, and then we lost to UCLA. So I will... I will not, I will tip my cap to you though this year, Stro. I think UCLA went, runs away with the Pac-12 championship. You want us to, so we yeah. lose to the championship. <laughs> last year, last year that was a tie, right? They co-champs right. Washington and UCLA, so the jinx was off. That's right. She's Homer right. jinxing you. She's Homer jinxing you, Shro. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I feel it. I think you we know just what? named, that's the name of this podcast, the Homer jinx. So. Homer jinxing. <laughs> well, that, that leads us to, uh, before we get into shagging stats, we have to address the elephant in the room, which is 
Uh, without Dr. Moens on the show last week, you guys started your own <laughs> seven innings dictionary, apparently, um, with words like withstain, which apparently is in the Urban Dictionary, unoutable. I don't think we've gotten it. Inoutable. Inoutable. Like fast food. Inoutable. I don't think there's, there's a definition for that. Uh, lossless. Okay, dictionary.com says no, but Buzz Lightyear found lost, lawless, uh, lossless in the Oxford, uh, English American dictionary. So, and then physiality, I think just stands alone as, as just a great word to use. But now we have to add, um, Homer jinxing, uh, to the lexicon, which is what doc, Dr. Moen's majored in, lexiconology in the department of jargon, um, in my, uh, my doctor of letters. So, uh, so there's all of that. I love the, I love the creativity of this group to just make bleep up, uh, as we go along on the podcast. And, and what was the, what was the Lindemann Lorenz word earlier? I, I forgot to write that down. Oh, what was I the pronunciation, Smitty? Yeah. I, uh, I think Hundreman. Or it was, is Hundred and Lindemann together. <laughs> I think. We'll <laughs> have to go it. back and listen to the Hun- podcast. Hundreman. Hundreman, I think was it. Hundreman. Oh, Holly Rowe is not with us today, but uh, I think we have her voice on tape for Shag and Stats. Isn't that right, J-Mac? This week on Shag and Stats. Holly did send in a, a Shagging Stats for me, and it's an update on Jesse Harper. Nine home runs, and she is now at 75 total, so she needs 20 to tie the NCAA record held by Lauren Chamberlain. Uh, my shag and stats, uh, I'm going to Villanova, folks. Uh, Paige Rao, like, wow. She has 12 wins, which is fourth best in the country, and, and a win over uh, Florida State on, the, on March 1st. And she has 12 home runs, which is tops in the country. So congrats to Paige Rao at Villanova. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually rooting against Paige on Wednesday because they, they play my beloved Lafayette Leopards go parts. Hummer. But Paige Rao <laughs> is my, uh, is my shagging stats this week. Smitty! Oh, all right. I'm going to jump in then. Um, so I'm going to go to the West Coast and Fresno State. How about Mackenzie Wilson, leadoff hitter, outfielder? She has a 474 batting average. She scored 30 runs already, a 1.154 OPS. She's stolen 26 of 28 uh, uh, bases. She is just El Fuego and on fire in that leadoff spot for Fresno State, who is now uh, in the poll, ranked 25th. So congrats to the Bulldogs. Uh, well, Beth rhymed Rao with wow, but if she can rhyme something with Riley Trilicek, then I'd really be impressed. That's where my shag and stat is going to go. She's a freshman, lefty pitcher for Florida. She's the only freshman in Florida program history to throw complete game shutouts in her first two SEC games. And you guys think about the history of Florida All-American pitchers. Like, that's pretty impressive that she's the only one to do that. Uh, Jen, what do you have? Well, Facebook memories this morning reminded me of uh, my little sister in 2017 having like the most ridiculous senior start to her campaign. So I wanted to give a senior some love because I think you can put a lot of pressure on yourself. Alex Martin's senior shortstop at Kentucky, 45 RBIs. She's hitting 500, slugging a thousand, nine doubles, nine home runs, and 14 walks. Super impressed. Congrats, Alex. JDH, what about you? 
I love those big home run numbers, and so I will continue with that. Kate Gordon at James Madison broke the JMU career home run record this week and also set a new Colonial Athletic Association career home run record. She's hit 50 home runs and hit that number 50 against Cal on Sunday in a 10-3 win. She also is second in the country in on-base percentage and second in the country in batting average. So props to you, Kate Gordon. Elevate to celebrate. Elevate to celebrate. I got to write all this stuff down. This is fantastic. <laughs> By the way, if you're gonna if you're gonna challenge the doctor of letters, okay, I should have probably have told you that my my DJ name is MC Bethy, um, and you be throwing strikes like Trilichek and rowing that boat like PJ Fleck. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say right there. I'm dropping a little little Minnesota football on your head right there, Amanda. Thank you very much. Elevate to celebrate, baby. Elevate to celebrate. Speaking of elevating and celebrating, we're down to the bottom of the order now, number nine. You want to talk about a transition. It doesn't get much better than that. Uh, They've been elevating student-athletes for the last three-plus decades. Carol Hutchins, 36 years at Michigan. And Mike Candrea, 35 years at Arizona. They are back and forth uh, right now and, and probably for the rest of the season as the career wins leader in D1 softball. Hutch has had it for a while now. Candrea just passed her this week. Um, so back and forth they'll go. They, they've each got over 1,630 career wins. They're both Hall of Famers. Of course, for Mike Candrea at Arizona, eight national championships, an Olympic gold medalist, and uh, 23 trips to the World Series. Carol Hutchins, a national championship as a player at Michigan State, then coaching the Wolverines to the championship in 2005, the first champs east of the Mississippi. And now we know that the game, that helped uh, the game grow nationwide and all along the East Coast. So how about a little celebration, Smitty, of uh, Coach Hutch? And Coach Candrea. Super impressive. And it's interesting because I was playing at Oklahoma State when both uh, Coach Candrea and Coach Hutch were starting their careers at their respective universities. Um, feared then, feared now. Just I love the number of women that they have touched throughout their careers and then that those women have gone on uh, and touched and made a difference. They're really the history of our sport. Kudos to both of them. And um, I I just, I love following them. Thank you very much. uh, And congratulations to both of them. Well, and I've always respected Coach Hutch. I mean, she's always put amazing products on the field, had to play them in the World Series multiple times. But the word that stands out to me when you talk about Coach Candrea is trust. I go all the way back to my freshman year, and uh, I was rounding third in a UCLA game, and I my eye picked up the ball coming in from right field, and I froze, and I got picked off. It ended the inning, and coach approached me at the end of that inning and said, you need to trust me. And I realized in that moment that I needed to make sure that I always did what he said because it fell on his shoulders. So I would eventually go on to blow out my ankle before the Women's College World Series that year. Um, but he approached me before the championship game and he said, can you play short? Remember, I hadn't played short since high school. And I said, yes, because I knew that if he asked, he would trust, he trusted me. And so I go back to that moment all the time in my life, knowing that he trusts. And if he's going to trust me, then I can do anything. And that is the legacy that he's given to me. 
Excellent, excellent, great stuff. And uh, we look forward to uh, watching Candrea and Hutch throughout the remainder of the season. All we got left, ladies, is Player of the Week honors. Uh, we got some good ones. Allie Shipman at Tennessee. Sammy Dees at Bowling Green reached 17 of her 20 plate appearances this week. Uh, Sophie Frost, 18-point uh, two innings pitched without an earned run. Caitlin Fogue at Ohio, two grand slams in a game. Uh, Keely Rochard, I think, getting some votes. Georgina Corrick at USF, a school record tying, 18 strikeouts. Uh, all kinds of good stuff. Scarborough, I guess we'll give you the first vote. What say you? You said, I guess she's receiving some votes to Keely Rochard. Beth, all she did was throw three shutouts against Virginia. She threw a one hitter, <laughs> a three hitter, and a no hitter in game three when they had already seen her for two games. So she's ACC pitcher of the week this week. She gets my vote. I don't care who you're playing. That is unbelievable to go up against the same team three times and have your best stuff on the third game. Jen, who do you pick? Well, I didn't have a pick until you just sold me on my new friend, Keely. So she gets two votes. <laughs> Come on, Jen. Hitters always win. Let's go. I'm Can't sorry. I just go with my friend Amanda on this one. <laughs> All right. I well, I'm going to suck up to my pitcher, you know? Whatever. It's the Homer jinx. You're holding it against me. Okay. So the I'm going to go with Caitlin Fogue, the transfer from Missouri. Two grand slams. You mentioned um, Beth. But remember, they were down for nothing that first grand slam tied it and then in the third inning oh yeah walk off grand slam so for me oh boy i'm going with caitlin fogue oh and by the way they were the first two home runs of her collegiate career oh come on they're bobcats for crying out loud i'm i'm gonna jump in before smitty and vote for fogue so it's two two and someone else has to break the tie Oh, well, I got to go with pitchers. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You knew that would happen, Beth. Leave it in the hands of a pitcher to vote for a pitcher. Let's go. Okay, Uh. wait a second. Wait a second. J-Mac and Buzz just texted me. Hold on. Since this episode (laughs) is is called Homer Jinxing and we we don't want any outright champs, this may be the week where we have co-players of the week. What do you guys say to that? No, wait, no. That, like Keely and Caitlin, or or we don't give out trophies. Everyone doesn't get a trophy. No, no, no. no. And the the SEC <laughs> the too. SEC and I, look, we support the SEC. Honors. It's great. The SEC keeps coming out with co-players of the week, and it's driving me up a wall. I think it's happened three or four times, and there's been a lot All of right, good play. Uh, but let's just pick one. Thanks a lot, Buzz. Great listen, idea. Kaylee, listen, Kaylee's <laughs> is a pitcher, and her name starts with a K. I think she wins right there. All right. Keely <laughs> Rochard, Virginia Tech, our seven innings podcast, player of the week. Uh, Beth Mullins, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, uh, Jen Schroeder, Jenny Dalton Hill, Jay Mack, and Buzz. Uh, looking forward to seeing y'all on the road to the Women's College World Series as we inch closer to the mayhem. We'll see you next week. Woohoo!